On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Nineteen ninety-seven. Everybody thought the LAPD was filled with only one thing: racist cops. But it wasn't. Also had politicians. Got yourself a genuine cluster of fuck, Russ. The LAPD went wild west in daylight. Shots are fired at the intersection. Witnesses? Got too goddamn many of them. Our shooter is uh, undercover detective Frank Liger. Claims self-defense. The deceased is Officer Kevin Gaines. Where's Officer Liger now? They're holding across the street for you in the burger fucking joint. Uh, cross the T's and dot the I's. Oh, yeah. The brass will have our asses if any part of this comes back murky. Okay? Yes. All right, bro. In interviewing Frank for close to four hours now, a few things have been made clear. Imagine showing up for work as an undercover police officer. You're in the early stages of a career that's dangerous, and hand-to-hand -hand narcotics buys are unpredictable. Yet, driving in the Valley of Hollywood, an enraged fellow driver not only threatens you, but pulls a gun and points it directly at you. What comes to mind is a recent ride-along I did in Florida for another project I'm working on with a police department that will remain nameless. I'm on a radio call and there's an old man parked in a parking lot and he took his gun and drew down on off-duty narcotics officers. In talking with the many cops in the aftermath, one thing was made clear. If you're a cop and someone draws down on you, on or off duty, you're justified to protect yourself and shoot them. It's black and white, not gray. The cops that day in Florida told me they're surprised the guy wasn't killed. Frank's story and the timing of this incident has created a cottage industry of rumors, lies, misinformation, and speculation. Each time Frank goes on the record, not only does he clear the record, he provides documentation to back it up. Here's part two of my interview with Frank, where we pick up the conversation, where I ask Frank, did he know Kevin Gaines prior to seeing him flashing a gun in his face? Where did this rumor begin that you actually knew Gaines? Where did where did that come from? A guy named Brian Bentley. Brian S. Bentley. His claim to fame is he had the most personnel complaints in the history of LAPD. He's a racist, unbelievable pain in the butt. Still, to this day, he's still shooting his mouth off. Uh, 
He's got a podcast now that says it's widely known that Liga hates black people. Liga and Gaines worked West LA, and then when he finally, when he figured out he's still pushing that we worked together, but for a while there, he realized that Gaines didn't come out of job until well after I left West LA. So now his story was that I used to gas up my undercover car at West LA, and I saw Gaines, and Gaines saw me gas up my undercover car. Well, that's a possibility, but the moral to that story is, if I'm gassing up a, a I, at the time, I had hair down to my, under my, past my shoulder. I had a big Fu Manchu mustache. And like I said, long hair down past my shoulders. I'm driving a pickup truck. Or uh, whatever I was driving. You know, whatever car I was driving. Primarily, I drove a pickup at that time. And I'd gas up at West L.A. once in a while. Because I'm on my way home. And here's the deal. If you pull into a police parking, parking or gas station... And uh, you see a guy looking like me gassing up a car, gassing up a truck. And the black and white comes in. You're in a black and white. And you see me. And I look over and I look at you. And who's going to recognize who? Right? Who's going to know who in the future? Who's going to stand out and who's not? To me, you're just a couple of guys in a black and white. Mildly interesting. No big deal. In fact, in fact it's comical. One night I was gassing up about 2 o'clock in the morning. I was gassing up at West L.A. about 2 o'clock in the morning, and uh, there's nobody around. And then I have a key to the, to the bathroom, and, you know, we have a key to the bathroom, but the door's always open. And there's nobody around. I'm gassing up, but I was coming out of the bathroom, and a sergeant pulls in. Because the sergeant's parked their patrol car in that parking lot and walked across the street to the West L.A. station. And as the sergeant got out of his car, he says, hey, sir. I says, hey, I, I said, you know where the guy is here? I said, I said, the pumps are open, but I, I don't see a, a tenant to pay him. What, what's going on? And he said, oh, this is a police parking lot. This is a police guy. What the hell are you doing? And I laughed and I badged him, but breaking his balls, you know, shook him up a little bit. But the, like I said, Bentley started shooting his mouth off saying that uh, that uh, I knew gains because I gassed up my undercover car at West L.A. when he realized that I, I caught him on... I never, we never worked together. I know what I've read about the infamous Liga Gaines incident. When we started writing the screenplay for City of Lies, there was a huge internal debate on whether you opened the movie with the Liga Gaines shooting or with David Mack robbing a Bank of America as an LAPD officer. If you've seen City of Lies, you know the movie starts with this high-octane scene with Shea Wiggum playing Frank Liga and Amin Joseph playing Kevin Gaines. Amin also starred in Snowfall on FX, an incredible television series. I wanted to hear from Frank exact details of the shooting, but what I didn't expect was the granular minutia of that day is burned into his brain forever. And the way he describes it is chilling. I was working Hollywood FES, which is field enforcement, which is street level dope. It's one step above the buy team. The buy team, which I worked in 88, the buy team is where undercover officers drive around, buy narcotic areas and solicit people to sell them $10, $20 pieces or dips or whatever you're looking for whatever kind of drug you're looking for, 
you drive around and sell it. You give a signal and take down the units, come in and take the person into custody for sales. Field enforcement was one step above that. Well, we, we tracked and we hunted not, not only the street dealers, but we hunted the street dealer suppliers, which is one step above the street dealers. Um, right, identify people, write in search warrants, uh, undercover buys, UC work, um, very little surveillance, and it's surveillance in and out, and depending on what you're doing, um, that was every day. I had uh, my, I had a partner that we, he was on loan originally, he's my best friend. He, uh, he and I worked together and we kind of monopolized the, 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 the office. Basically, we worked, we came in at noon and worked till eight o'clock at night. But we usually worked about till midnight, give or take. We always worked overtime. Because the dope dealers usually sleep till noon, right? They're up all night partying, they sleep till noon. So we'd come in at noon, but because we made so many dope arrests, he and I were in court every day, four or five days a week. We were in court at 8.30 in the morning. So we'd go to court, do the prelims, and then by 10 o'clock, 10.30, we're, we're done usually. And we're, we go back to the office, and he and I would get together and go hunt. Um, back in those days, you know, on your cell phone, now you have the, your call list. Back in the old days, the crooks had phone books. Everybody carried a black, little black phone book, right? Everybody had their phone books. And when I arrested people, I'd either copy their phone book or take their phone book, depending on what we're doing. And when nobody was around, nothing to do, I'd go into a cold office, a cold room. They had a cold, a cold phone. is basically a non-city phone, had an outside number. And I'd go through the phone book and I'd call up random numbers and try to buy drugs, buy drugs, get them to deliver drugs to me. Uh, like I, I think I, like I told you on, on the email this morning or the text this morning, I never heard of Biggie Smalls until they murdered him, until, until, until he was killed. I don't think I ever even heard of him. I had heard of Tupac, but I didn't care anything about him. To this day, I don't think I've ever listened to a song complete of either one of them. Um, I said it never, I didn't blend in that world. I didn't, didn't care about that world. So I, I, I didn't do anything with it. On March 18th, nine days after, uh, nine days after Biggie got killed, I had to go qualify with a shotgun. And so I was up in, uh, up at the range qualifying and I'm a pretty good shot. I scored a hundred percent on the deal and I got back and we were doing a surveillance in North Hollywood from another one of our one of my other guys, his, his case. So when I got there, I missed a briefing. So they put me on point. We had an informant that was supposed to go out and meet the crook. The guy was supposed to have a, a meth lab, manufacturing methamphetamine. So the crook was sitting out in the parking lot waiting for the, the dealer to show up. I was in my Buick Regal parked across the street, or I forgot where I was parked. I was hidden someplace in the Buick Regal for like four hours with, a, with the car off. Windows up, sweating my ass off, and the crook never showed. The plan was, UC was supposed to meet with the crook, buy some meth, and then we were going to follow the crook back to his house, or back to where his lab, wherever he was. He never showed up, which is not unusual. So we're driving back down, uh, we're, we break, and the guys all stop at an intersection at a cul-de-sac, and they're debriefing. And I, I said, I don't need that, I'm going back to the office. So I drove ahead. 
I come down uh, down uh, Lancashire or Ventura Boulevard to uh, Lancashire or Coenga rather at Lancashire. I'm stopped at a red light. There's a uh, a Subway sandwich shop on my right that's L-shaped. It starts in a starts in the parking lot going north and then it comes east. So it's L-shaped and the one corner of it's right at the curb, right at the sidewalk. And I'm parked right in front of it at the red light. It stopped at a red light. I got the windows up and I got the air conditioning going. Um, I had a white tank top t-shirt. I had long hair, but it was pulled back in a ponytail. Threw my, my black baseball cap with a marijuana leaf on the front. And I'm sitting in a car minding my own business, waiting for the light to turn red, green. And I hear rap music. And I looked to my left and there was a green, what I thought was a Jeep at the time, it turned out to be a Montero. The passenger window was open, on the front passenger window was open, and the driver, male black, uh, shaved head, two or three day growth beard, wearing a uh, green jogging suit from the top, unzipped, so his chest was showing, was in a driver's seat, and he was looking straight at me through the passenger window, and um, look, I look to the, to the left, like, what's this clown looking at? And I look over to the right to see what he's looking at. There was nobody there. And he's bobbing a little bit, and he's staring right at me. So I, I roll my window down, and I say, can I help you? And he immediately starts doing hand signs and says, ain't nobody looking at you, punk motherfucker. Roll that window up, I'll put a cap in your ass. And I said, excuse me? And again, not that I'm a tough guy, but the only thing I lacked was a lightning bolt on my neck. I'm 5'10", 240. I'm wearing a tank top t-shirt. I got hair down in my... Back. I got a big Fu Manchu mustache. I said, the only thing I lacked was a lightning bolt on my neck. I said, I never had anybody, a one-on-one talk to me like that. I couldn't believe it. So I said, excuse me? He said, you heard what I said. He said, I'll kick your mother. And he starts with hand signs, gangster blood hand signs. So I looked at him. I said, well, fuck you. Okay, you want to do it? Let's go. He said, pull over. I said, let's go right now. The light turns green. And he pulls through the light and pulls to the red zone across from, uh, I think it's called Regal Place. No, it was Laker. He pulls to the, he pulls to, uh, pulls to the red zone and stops, goes to get out. And I drove by him, laughing at him. I was looking at him, laughing at him. And uh, he got back in the truck. And I'm thinking, what a stupid idiot think I'm going to get out of a car. The moron. And he gets out of the truck. Or the, he, gets, he gets out of it. He jumps back in the truck. And I'm watching in the mirror. He looked like he was going to rip the steering wheel off. He was actually shaking and pulling the steering wheel. looked like he was going to rip the steering wheel off. So I'm thinking, what an idiot, right? So as I'm watching him, traffic is real thick. It's 4 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. I'm southbound on Cahuenga from Ventura Boulevard in Studio City. It's crazy. You've got a, a, a number one lane. You've got a left turn lane to get on the freeway. A number one lane, a number two lane, and a parking lane. The parking lane was fully parked. Cars parked. Every car spot was parked. I'm in the number two lane about four cars back. I'm watching him. He breaks traffic and literally goes in a northbound lane, cutting through traffic. And I remember going, looking at him, going, shit. So I get on a radio, which was a foot mic, and the microphone was in the visor up here in the dash. And I push the mic down and say, hey, guys, I got a problem. I got a, a black guy in a green Jeep. Might have a gun coming up on me. I said, I need help up here. Uh, and I'm watching him in the, in the mirror. 
He weaves through cars. He finally comes up. I always felt the radio and Frank using the radio in his car to call his fellow narcotics team was an important part of the story. He was alerting them to what was happening. I have to imagine this was surreal. He's being chased by a guy with a gun in his car and it's turning into a road rage incident. When I stopped at the red light, what happened was the number one lane or the left turn lane at the red light blew to late. Blew to red light, got on a freeway. The number one car in the number one lane blew to red light, got on a freeway, which moved the cars up one, which left a space open right next to me. That's why I said, shit, I pulled my gun out, unhooked my seatbelt, pulled my gun out, put it in my lap. Because at that time in history, in LAPD, the black gang members from South LA were transitioning from 77 Monte Carlos. Remember those cars? They had the flared out front fenders. That was the gangster car of the 80s. Um, they were transitioning over to uh, SUVs. And the, the, the DMO, the standard practice, was they'd pull up along somebody and then they cut them off, pull that SUV in front of the car and block, trap, block them and jump out of the car and attack the guy in the, there in the car. I didn't want that to happen to me, so I hooked my seatbelt, put my gun on my lap and watched. And he pulled up alongside me. His truck slammed to a kind of a stop and kind of jerked back and forth. And he leaned across the passenger seat. What, what I thought was a stainless steel 45 turned out to be a 9mm 6906. But he leans across the passenger seat and points the gun at me and screams, I'll cap you, motherfucker. At which time, it's hard to describe, but I wasn't afraid of him. I had no fear, but I had no control over my body. I couldn't go back because I was sitting in the front seat of the, of the car. I couldn't go to the right because that's still right in line with the shooting. All right, so life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to 100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So maybe you need to get your kids something special or you and the wife need a scintillating night out every once in a while at least. So download Earn In Today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in the dossier under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com forward slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Let me be clear about one thing with this story. Back in 97, post Rodney King, post OJ, the dynamics of race 
was starting to boil to the surface. Or an argument could be made that a reckoning around race was happening in Los Angeles with the police. The story of Liga and Gaines has always been about a simple but horrifying racial complexity. A white cop shoots a black cop who is guilty. And where the waters start to get even more murkier is the dynamic of a white cop shoots a black cop in self-defense. And lastly, if you go a step further, a white cop shoots a black cop, wherein it is found that said cop was corrupt and taking a firearm and pointing it at a person that maybe knew he was a cop, maybe not. If this story was heated then, imagine today. It takes on even more inscrutable dimensions of sensitivity. You can't talk about this story without talking about race. You can't hide from it. You have to take it head on. I couldn't go to the left because I was at my door. The only place I could go was I went forward and I hit my chest on the steering wheel, took my foot off the brake, and I bridged the gap between the, the car and my car and the car in front of me, which is about four feet, I, which is about a four foot distance. And it's, I recovered fairly quickly. So I, I bridged the gap and my right arm came up. And as soon as I cleared the, the door, my window was down, as soon as I cleared the door, I fired around. <clears throat> I saw a glass break. Um, it shook me up. I saw glass bubble bubble up and glass fragments break. I couldn't believe I missed. In my mind, I thought I shot the window, the rear passenger window out, because I know the front passenger window was down because he was screaming at me. So I thought I missed. I couldn't believe I missed. So I literally turned and looked at the, passenger, the rear passenger window to see it was intact. As it turns out, well, then I, uh, to back up, when I look back at him, his arm was still extended with the gun pointing at me. So I adjusted, I basically pulled up on, the, on my arm. I just pulled the barrel up. Same trajectory and fired the second round. And I could hear it. I heard the impact. I saw it in his eyes. His eyes got real big. And he went from, with his arm extended, fully extended, his arm, his right arm was fully extended toward the bathroom door. It went directly to the steering wheel using his chest. He didn't retract his elbow at all. You understand what I'm trying to say? Oh, I'm describing it. His arm went, if you stick your arm out and bring your arm forward to, like you're going to clap both your hands in front, right, just like that, without retracting his elbow. And he hit the steering wheel and accelerated. By then, his car, the tight turned green and cars were gone in front of us. So I'm like this, because I shot over my shoulder backwards. And when he leaves, I'm like this here, and I'm on the radio, so hey, I just shot this guy. I need help. Get up here. And I look at my hand, and my gun's right in front of my nose. So I decocked the gun, put it away, because I think I'm going in pursuit now. I just shot this guy, and there's no way in the world I'm going to let him go away without following him. So he goes about 35 feet into the intersection, and uh, he does a U-turn and comes back. As he does the U-turn, he starts coming back toward me. He's pumping his right arm. 
like an up and down motion like this, just pumping his right arm. He's got this really stupid grimace on his face, like a real smirk, real stupid grimace. But he's pumping that right arm. So I think I'm thinking to myself, okay, we're gonna joust. Here we go. So I pull my gun out, thinking he's gonna pull up. I'm gonna shoot him again. Station parking lot. So you know how the blacktop and sidewalk, the concrete, there's different elevations. And when you hit the sidewalk, there's a little little lip usually. Well, when hit that Montero went over the lip. In my mind, it looked like somebody shut the shut the power off, turned the key off, because the truck didn't. There wasn't no brake spell. There's nothing, no brakes. But it looked like somebody shut the key off, and the truck just kind of motor stopped it, and it just kind of jerked forward and stopped. And it, it said they say it crashed into the building. It didn't crash into anything. It got to the building, and by then the motor already shut the truck down from because it was in gear. And it stopped as it hit the hit the curb at the planter. No no damage. Uh, so I looked at check traffic and I made a left turn, pulled into the gas station. Now they attacked, they accused me of uh, tactics on that one because I offset to the right. You know, on a felony traffic stop, cops offset to the left. I mean, half the police cars usually on the left side to block what's for us to block the police officer. When they're giving a ticket at the door, it's to block somebody from running into them. I offset to the right. The reason I offset to the right is because where he was in position to the gas pumps, I anticipated a running gun battle through the gas pumps. And I didn't want him to shoot into the gas pumps and cause an explosion. I didn't want to get burned up. So I offset to the right, got out of my car, and I walked up to the rear of his truck screaming, Police officer, let me see your hand. His body was slumped left, but he was leaning leaning right, if you can understand that. His left shoulder and left side and whole left side was in the corner post of the driver's door in the seat. He was leaning left, but he was slumped over to the right. His right hand was, was laying, his right arm and forearm was on his right thigh. I couldn't see his left arm. I didn't get close enough. I could just look over and look down. I could see his hand was empty. Uh, he wasn't moving, wasn't snowing, no movement, no nothing. So I backed up a little bit, and uh, I'm waiting. As I'm waiting, I see a CHP car, a black and white, come from behind the gas station. It comes out and pulls up all the way, pulls up till I can see the windshield, I see the driver. He sees me, and bear in mind, I'm, I'm, uh, I got a marijuana baseball hat on, hair in a ponytail, I'm wearing a t- white tank top t-shirt, but I got a badger on my neck, and when I got out of the car before I approached Gaines's vehicle, there was a Hispanic guy coming out of the gas station. I held my badge up. I said, I'm a cop. Call 911. And he went back into the gas station, assuming he called 911. So now I'm standing behind by the rear passenger, the driver's passenger door, rear door, looking over the hood and watching, watching the, the crook. And uh, the chippy car backed up and then came forward again, but not to the windshield. Now there's two CHP officers behind the front passenger, the driver's side passenger fender, driver's side fender, and they're by, they're down. If you read their statements from <clears throat> from the shooting, from their Shua O2IS report, they claim that they were screaming at me, pointing their guns at me, screaming, "Drop your gun, drop your gun," or, you know, pointing guns and screaming. I don't. They never pointed a gun at me. <laughs> they were behind the front, behind the front fender of the car. And I held my badge up over the car and yelled, I'm a cop, I need help, get up here. And I went back to watching the crook. 
a few seconds later, my boss shows up in his undercover car. We don't have, our undercover cars don't have lights and sirens. He shows up, parks just south of my vehicle, south of my vehicle. He offsets south of my vehicle. He's got his horn blowing the horn. He's got his left hand sticking out the window, the driver's window with his badge in it. And his partner had her hand out the pasture window with her badge in it. And they're blowing the horn to let these chippies know that we're cops. So then the first chippy, I call them chippies, they're CHP officers. The first officer comes up, starts walking, looked like Barney Fife. God, looked like Barney walking up to the car. He walks between my car and the Montero, and he gets behind the back of the Montero, and he looks at me, he goes, are you a real cop? And I said, yeah, I'm a real fucking cop. This guy's hit bad, take over. You're in uniform. So now he pulls his gun out. I better go to the low ready and back up. He pulls his gun out, runs up to the driver's door, and sticks his gun in the pad in the driver's ear, basically. At the same time, the, the second CHP officer runs up to the pasture door and sticks his gun in the pasture window, and they got a cross crossfire going. So I back up even more. As I'm watching them, I don't pay attention, I'm watching them, my team starts showing up. My my guys start running in. And uh, as my guys run up to, to, to the vehicle, the Montero, I get hit in the chest. I get a, a hand in the chest pushing me back into the gas pumps. It was my boss. He pushed me back further to get out of get out of there. My two guys, the first two guys, they're named uh, John. Well, I, I don't want to give their names. I don't want to get involved. But they were on loan from Metro, and um, they basically pushed the CHP out of the way. Said we'll take control. And one guy on the driver's side opened the driver's door. And when he opened the door, you could hear the gun slide down the door to the thing. So basically what happened, and this is speculation and this comes from experience, when, when he retracted his arm without bending the elbow, he got shot, hit hard. His right arm went to the steering wheel and that gun flew out of his hand and hit the door on his left side, slid down the door and got wedged between the door and his, his left leg, which was up against the door. When they opened the door, that gun slid down the door into the floorboard of the car, in its floorboard. They, the other guy ran to the pasture side, opened the pasture door, reached in and grabbed him by the arms, and pulled him out through the pasture door, and they handcuffed him, put him on his belly and handcuffed him. By this time, I was put in the front seat of my boss's car, because the media was starting to show up. There was helicopters, and everybody was over. So it was a major cluster. So they took me out of the field, because I was a shooter, my car was part of the crime scene that had to be stay. They had to stay. So they put me in my boss's car. So I'm sitting in his front seat of his car. Uh, one of my partners comes up to the fire driver's window, and I says, is he dead? And uh, Jeffy goes, yeah, oh yeah, he's dead. I says, good. What sets he from? Thinking he's a, what's looking for tattoos. He goes, what do you mean? I said, what tattoos he got? Stone cold gangster. He was a gangster, no question about it. And Jeffy tells me, he says, I don't see any tattoos. I'm using Jeffy's name um, because in 2000, Jeffy killed himself. Heavy stress, and he shot himself. But um, he, he says, I didn't, see any, I didn't see any tattoos. So right after that, they transported me back to the station. Waiting for the OIS to show up, for the robbery team to show up, for robbery homicide to show up. Now, um, can I ask you a question, Frank? So sure, in those sure. in those circumstances of 
let's let's say one it's an officer involved shooting right and two right. it's an undercover officer involved shooting what's the protocol what what is the protocol at the LAPD at at that time what's the next step in this process well the next step was uh first of all get me out of the line of fire get me out of the media um try to minimize exposure they took me to back to hollywood station i went into the cold room sat on a desk uh my lieutenant comes in and says call your wife at the time i thought i got a shooting gangster happens uh, a, a hardcore gangster with an attitude ran up against the wrong guy so i called like i i was going to call her but my boss jumped down me call your wife I said, All right. so i called the house uh, I called, she was still working. I called her office. I said, I'm going to be late. She goes, how long are you going to be? I said, I don't know. I got no idea. I said, but I'm going to be late. I said, maybe all night. What happened? You okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's great. Uh, what happened? I said, nothing. I'm good. What happened? You, you Something happened. Tell me what happened. I said, I, I got in a shooting. The other guy lost. I said, I got to wait for OIS team to show up and go through all the walkthrough and all the crap. I don't know how long it's going All right, you're okay. Yeah, I'm fine. And I hang up. Still, no big deal. At seven o'clock that that night, I got shot him at five after four. This was probably ten minutes to five, give or take, when I called her. Uh, at seven o'clock, I'm still in the room, in the cold room, by myself, and uh, my lieutenant and my boss, and my boss and the lieutenant, we have a special relationship. Um, my boss is the kind of guy where, if he told me to get up on a roof and jump off, I'm getting up on a roof and jumping off. That's how much I trust these two people, right? Um, so he comes in, he puts his arm around me, he goes, hey. He goes, you're going to have to suck this one up. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, the guy was a policeman. I said, what do you mean a policeman? What are you talking about? From where? He was one of ours. And I'm going, oh, man, now I know the world's going to collapse. Officer Gaines' family is counting on some high-powered legal help from an attorney who has faced off before with the LAPD. Johnny Cochran assistant Sean Chapman says a second autopsy reveals new information on how the man died. That there do appear to be inconsistencies in the physical evidence and the statements that have been given by the Los Angeles Police Department. And she says there are questions about Detective Lighter. 